It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. With four weeks left until Election Day, an updated Fox News power rankings shows Republicans primed to take back the House of Representatives with a projection of just over 230 seats, while the U.S. Senate will come down to toss-up races, likely in Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. Those are the four toss-ups in our Fox News power rankings. In Arizona, Republican gubernatorial candidate Kerry Lake and Republican Senate candidate Blake Masters both locked in close races. And former President Trump traveled to that state this weekend to try to help those campaigns. Everybody get out and vote for this unbelievable star. I really believe she's going to be a big star of the country, not just the party. Carrie Lake. Carrie, please come up. And though abortion rights continue to be a top issue uh, Democrats are campaigning on, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders said in an op-ed it would be political malpractice for Democrats to ignore the poor state of the U.S. economy. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel. Democratic strategist, syndicated talk show host Leslie Marshall, chief political correspondent at the Washington Examiner Byron York, and Fox News congressional correspondent Chad Perber. Byron, it seems like our power rankings have the Senate at a knife's edge, anybody's game, the House definitely leaning towards Republicans, and the issues heading Republicans' way. Fair? I think that's right. The, you're, you're right. The Senate does remain a complete toss-up right now. But, but something has been happening in the past few days and weeks, which is there is this perception on the Democratic side that uh, the abortion issue is slipping a little bit. It's not that they don't think it's an important issue. They do. It's just they've realized that it might not be enough by itself uh, to get them through a bunch of Senate races. You've seen James Carville come out and say that. You just mentioned uh, Bernie uh, Sanders coming out and saying that. I think it all happened actually uh, in mid-September when when we got the new inflation news that showed that inflation was high and chronic and likely to be around <laughs> for a long time. They realized, Democrats did, uh, that this was just still going to be the public's top concern. So I think there's there's been a shift. You, I, I think if you looked at uh, Politico Playbook, it said, is the Dobbs effect waning, referring to the Supreme Court abortion decision? And so now it looks like some of those fundamental issues that we've talked about the whole time, the biggest being the economy, are reasserting themselves as the top factor in the race. Leslie, what's interesting is the president's approval on those very issues. Mammoth came out with a poll and, you know, we talk about polls nonstop during this time, and we have to be careful about relying on one poll or the other. But Monmouth is a respected organization, comes out with a poll of the top issues. And of those, inflation is the top at 82 percent, extremely concerned about inflation. 
The president's approval on the issue of inflation is 30 percent, 32 percent. On the issue of crime, it's 77 importance as far as extremely important, 77 percent. And the president's approval of, on that is 40 percent uh, or 35. I'm sorry, 35. So the disparity between the issue and the president's approval does factor in. It could be why he's not campaigning all over the place like we saw previous uh, Democratic President Obama. It could be, Brett, but you know what I'm also noticing this time around, which is very different in this midterm election, is I'm just not seeing a correlation with the president's approval ratings, which have been underwater, and then we'll have them go up a bit, and then they go down. Look, it is the economy, whether it's inflation or another uh, economic issue under the umbrella of money. It always has been, even back in 92 when James Carville said it's the economy, stupid. It was then, it is now. But what I find interesting to that point that I was making about lack of correlation between the approval rating of the president on these issues and races, you know, you know, we were talking about and certainly Republicans were talking about a tsunami. There is not. It doesn't look like there's going to be a red wave. Uh, Cook political report out of 10 House races, seven now then turned and flipped to Democrats' favor. Uh, uh, Sabado's uh, crystal ball, uh, four to Dems. Uh, Fox News power ranking, uh, three more seats to Dems. When we were talking about 20 or 30 seats uh, Republicans would be gaining, now people are talking about, uh, you know, numbers in the teens. So I find it interesting that you're just not having the correlation, uh, you know, to the president. Even though, whether it's a Democrat or Republican or an independent voter, uh, that the um, inflation is number one. Um, when you look at what's number two, it really depends what state they're in. For example, if you're in a border state like Arizona, it's immigration. But there are other states like Colorado where abortion is number two. And just to yeah. Byron's point, I would, ag I would agree very quickly. I would agree with Byron. I would agree with Bernie Sanders. And I would agree with James Carville. And I've always said this. I don't feel that my party or any party should make one issue the only issue and abortion is not uh, the only issue. Yeah. Chad, um, it's interesting that, you know, you hear people like Jamie Dimon saying they've played the climate change issue exactly wrong, that that now you need you needed to have energy production in America to counter um, the effort by some of these smaller countries and even Germany to go back to coal. Uh, so they're they're not winning on climate change. It's dirtier because of the effort to not produce in America. And it's, it seems like that message is starting to seep through, even up on Capitol Hill. And that message doesn't work for the Democrats anywhere outside of urban areas or even swing states. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago that you had Democratic senators in North and South Dakota. You know, you have one Democratic senator in West Virginia, Joe Manchin. We'll see if he's still here in a couple of years. That used to be a Democratic state. Uh, Democrats find themselves in these more rural states unable to win at all because some of the policies ranging from climate change to other you know, social policy issues just don't resonate. And the problem that Democrats are going to face going forward, not just after this election, but in the future, is can they ever get any of those senators back? If they lose control of the Senate this time around, 2024 is a very, very bad map uh, for the yeah. Democrats in terms of the senators who are up. And it might be, you know, we talked about 40 years that the Democrats had control of the House from, from the mid-1950s until the mid-1990s. It could be maybe not that long, but a very long period of time because of the point I just made. 
that the Democrats never get the House back, get the Senate back. But here's the other underlying problem. You know, and we by talked the way, about. Let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt, yes, please. interrupt you. If they had changed the filibuster rules, and if you <laughs> actually had what you're saying happen, they would be internally in the minority. Yes, exactly. And all the things that they would pass would be undone here uh, next year if Republicans win the Senate. And of course, that is still a big if. Uh, something I, I want to point out, you know, they thought that this abortion issue would really resonate with Democratic voters, pro-choice voters. It did. Uh, they may have peaked too early. But look at the state of Nevada, you know, where you have Catherine Cortez Masto on the ballot here. You know, there's a lot of questions about Hispanic voters in that state and whether or not that issue resonates in a place like Nevada. Control of the Senate could come down to Nevada. The other factor at work there is that Harry Reid is not around anymore. Uh, Senator Reid died, the former late Senate Majority Leader. You know, she came, Catherine Cortez Masto, from the Harry Reid machine, and that's not how it works right now in Nevada. One last point on this. We see a trend maybe a little bit toward Republicans. Uh, we don't see this wave, as Leslie suggested. I talked to one, you know, pretty, you know, down the middle, uh, you know, uh, consultant today, somebody who does lean to the left, but is pretty straightforward, who said he thinks that all this is going to be much closer than people anticipate but don't forget that events on the world stage sometimes impact these elections. And don't forget that right. it, 60 falls ago, we had the missiles of October, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, you know, there were some Republicans at the time, Barry Goldwater among them, who thought that John F. Kennedy, you know, cooked this up to try to help them in the midterms. It turns out the Democrats only lost uh, five seats in the House of Representatives, actually gained four seats in the Senate, which was a long first time that that particular class of senators had gained seats uh, since the 1930s. And look what we're talking about right now on the foreign policy stage, missiles of October, the saber rattling, you know, the president's comment the other day about Armageddon and Vladimir Putin. Don't underestimate Putin's ability to try to weasel his way into the psyche of the American voter just ahead of a midterm election. Yeah, I would argue though, Byron, that that uncertainty uh, spooks not only the markets, but, but people at home. And if they don't feel great about their security, it usually goes against the administration in power, I, I think. But listen, historically, midterms do that. Historically, the White House, the party in power in the White House loses seats. I mean, that's, that's just history. The other thing we've been watching lately is elections where Republicans are under polling by two to four points across the board, Byron. This is a really uh, fascinating subject, this, this idea of polling bias or polling error. First of all, we should say we should all hope that Chad is wrong about a nuclear crisis uh, yes, in, exactly. in October or any other time. Let's, let's not have one. Um, but on, on this polling thing, uh, Real Clear Politics has just started doing something uh, interesting. They, they look at their, their averages in the key, key Senate races. And then they look at what polling showed in, in that particular state in 2016, Trump versus Clinton, 2018, whatever midterm they had then, and 2020, Trump versus Biden. And in most states, the polls seriously underestimated Republican performance. For example, uh, in Georgia, um, the, uh, the polls today show Raphael Warnock with a 3.7 percentage point lead over Herschel Walker. 
they go back and look at those polls, 16, 18, and 20, and found that they actually uh, underestimated Republican performance by 5.9 percent. Well, what if that happens again this time? That means Herschel Walker is actually a couple of points ahead. Uh, This is speculative at the moment, but we do have a record of, of polling mistakes, especially at the state level. Uh, for quite a while now, and it could mm-hmm. make a difference in how we look at some of these key races. Yeah, I mean, listen, look at Wisconsin. There was a 17-point Biden lead heading into Election Day. Legendary, uh, yes. And it led in one poll. Panel, we'll hold it right there. We'll continue right after this. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Leslie, uh, pulling aside, I should point out in Georgia, there's a new Emerson poll out today that has Herschel Walker down two. Important that that's the first poll after last week's abortion revelations, his denial of paying for an abortion for a girlfriend, and then the the woman speaking out to the New York Times and others um, saying that she had a child with with Herschel Walker. But if, if that poll is accurate, um, Georgia Republicans are not uh, affected by that uh, and more affected by control of the Senate, which would be an interesting, interesting thing. I, I do want to ask you, though, about Hispanics and Latinos uh, overall. We've seen some districts along the border in Texas, for example, that have shifted. And there's a couple of those that are now toss-ups, Myra Flores, um, where in districts where Democrats have have been the incumbent for decades. uh, It is a shift, it seems, in the Hispanic vote. You know, it depends on where you look. To your point, Brett, in Texas, yes. But if you look at the state of Arizona— and you look at what's happening within that state, big proposition there, Proposition 308, which would allow uh, dreamers uh, or you know undocumented children uh, to receive college tuition free. And believe it or not, there are not just Hispanic community members, but a lot of Republicans that have been pushing for this as well. And some are pushing back within their own party against people uh, that are very angry as a border state. Uh, against the issue of immigration. And again, it depends what state you look at. If you look at Latinos in Colorado, the second most important issue to them, which is also the second most important issue overall to non-Latino voters, uh, is abortion. And you're not seeing that in border states like Texas or Arizona. So I would say, yes, there may be some columns where there are checks where Republicans are gaining uh, with Latinos, but I really think it comes down to not just states Uh, but districts within those states. And if I could just say one thing regarding the polling, you know, I think since 2016, what we have seen is is a real shift in the accuracy of polling. And there are a few reasons for that. One, cell phone usage, right? We have less home phone owners Mm -hmm. or people that use their home phones as regularly as their cell phones. Two, there are a lot of people who don't trust polling or don't trust the questions of polling. Uh, That happens right and left and even more so on the right Uh, So who may not be answering the questions or may want to throw the pollsters off uh, just a bit. Uh, So I would agree with Byron uh, regarding the accuracy of the polling. And and I think that is a question mark left and right, especially in these races that are so tight. Yeah. And Chad, finally, let me put you on the spot. You're our resident historian, but also 
resident uh, knower of all things House of Representatives. Is there a race or a couple races where you're looking at and saying, this is really interesting or this is a surprise? Um, you always kind of have your finger on the pulse of, of either a chairman going down or an uh, interesting character that, uh, that we should look at. One race that will give us a sense of where the House of Representatives is going, and we should know pretty early on you know, where things are going, are in, starting in Virginia. Look at Elaine Luria. Look at Abigail Spanberger. It's a eastern you know, state. Uh, I would look at Indiana, where the polls close at 6 p.m. In northwestern Indiana, you have Frank Mervan who is a moderate Democrat. Again, he's a freshman. But, you know, with those two or three races in the early going, that will give us a sense as to whether or not uh, as to whether or not uh, the House of Representatives, you know, stays Democratic, goes Republican, or maybe there's a there's a wave that's going on that night. Now, the one thing I want to talk about when you when you say, is there a race that's kind of a canary in the coal mine or a surprise that's lurking out there? I would look at some Republican rural districts, because when we see this enthusiasm question, you know, Republicans are pretty revved up about this this uh, this election. They were not revved up in 2018 because former President Trump was not on the ballot. He is not on the ballot this time. So this is why pollsters and political scientists are struggling to understand what the electorate is going to look like. We don't know who's going to actually show up. But what we have seen because of the issues of inflation and crime in particular, you could have some of these districts um, in suburban areas really, uh, you know, potentially go Republican. I would look at Bill Foster, a moderate Democrat from uh, the Chicago area up against Catalina Lauf. Uh, that's an interesting race that might really be, you know, one of those surprises that's out that, that's out there. But when it comes to looking for these Republican voters in these rural districts, it doesn't seem that the same enthusiasm is there in those rural districts. And it would not surprise me if you have some of these districts that have these rural areas and then they have an urban core or a suburban core someplace that, uh, you know, kind of equals out the population that some Democrats could pick up onesies or twosies in some of those districts, maybe in Kentucky, maybe in northeastern Ohio. I would look at Tim Ryan's uh, district in northeastern Ohio. I think that's an important district to look at because that's the heart of Trump country. And of course, he is now running for the Senate. So it is an open seat. Yeah. See, I knew I could count on you. Uh, thank you, <laughs> panel. I appreciate it. Now for a bit of history. October 11th, 1992, 62 million Americans tuned in to the first of three presidential debates between incumbent President George H.W. Bush, then Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton, and Texas businessman Ross Perot. President Bush was trailing in the polls leading into that debate as he was lagged by a souring economy and a perception that he was out of touch with the average voter. No candidate struck any major blows, but a large percentage of viewers found Perot to be the winner of that debate. William Jefferson Clinton would go on to be elected the 42nd president of the United States, winning 370 electoral votes. Ross Perot would get about 19 percent. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Leslie, Byron, and Chad, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.